14 today. First day of class we had 19, so we lost five people, goodness. Don't forget that we had 19 people the first day. You might see that someplace. Can you remember that we had 19 people the first? You never know when that might show up as a random question someplace. <laughs> yes, it was. We had 19 on the 19th. But today is the 6th and we have 14, so something's wrong here. What? Who what? The whole front table disappeared today. Goodness. All right. Okay, let's get started. We have homework eight due today. Um, I will try to get those graded this weekend, so you should ha you'll get them back um, on Wednesday with the final, and you'll have grades up there very shortly. Quiz eight scheduled for today, if all goes as I hope. If it takes too long, you'll get the quiz on with the final. So you're getting the quiz one way or the other. It just depends on whether you take it today or you take it with the final. And iTunes quiz four is now up and available. It covers the pictures from. 9th of November through the 5th of December, not the 6th. You don't have to worry about today's picture because I made it up yesterday and I put it all up there and I said I'm not going to go redo it to add one more question in. So it's just based on the pictures through yesterday. So one less question to have to worry about. That is available through the final exam. So if you want to take the final and then go take this afterwards, it'll be up until 6 o'clock the next morning. Only thing it means is if you're right on the borderline of a grade, you might not know for sure until you've, take, until you've taken that. So if you want to get it out of the way earlier, that's great. Um, otherwise, final exam will be here on Wednesday, December the 11th from 9 to 11. And I promised you information on it, so I've got an information sheet to tell you all about the final. Only it doesn't give you the questions, so sorry. How many It tells you. I print out, instead of me telling you and then everybody forgetting, I figured I'd give you a piece of paper that has it all printed on it. And that way, if you forget over the weekend, you can refer to it and it'll tell you exactly. The final exam is broken into three parts. So, three-part exam. Yuck, right? Yeah, we don't want three parts. They're each about the same length. They're slightly longer than a regular exam, but not a whole lot. I did that so the way I could split them up, so I could split them up easier. Part one and part two are exactly the same length, exactly the same number of questions. The only difference is the questions from part one come right off your first four exams. I cut and pasted them from your first four exams. So they are word for word from them. I won't tell you which ones, but if there are 12 true-false questions, there's three from one exam, three from exam one, three from exam two. So if you know your first four exams, that's the first half of the final. So you don't need to go back and study the chapters. You don't need to go back and study your homeworks from the beginning. That first four exams worth of material is right from those four exams. You need, to study, you need to study those only. Part two, same length, but that covers the material in the last three chapters since the last exam. So that's the new, that's the new material. But same, same length, same style of questions and everything else. Part three, I didn't put on there that it's extra credit. Part three is extra credit. Does it say extra credit up there? Okay, I did say it up there, but I didn't put it in the thing there. So. So part three is 12 multiple choice questions that are extra credit worth one point, one point each. So you, got, so you actually have 212 points possible. It's out of 200. So gives you extra 12 points there. Uh, the multiple choice questions, I already essentially told you what one of those is going to be. So don't forget what the, 19th, what the 19 meant the first day of class, right? 19 students. Everybody who's not here yet is not going to be know and going to be wondering, how am I supposed to know how many students were here the first day of class? Actually, I used that for my summer class when it was real nice because there were only five, so I figured they could remember that six weeks after the class started that there were only five of us there the first day. But, yeah. This one was a little harder, so I thought I'd actually give you the answer and see how many people actually remember it come next Wednesday. That's one of them. The other questions are similar to that. There's not astronomy questions. They're, oh, wait, you know, like that's an actual question? That is an actual one of the extra credit questions, is how many students were here the first day of class. It is a, and it is 19. So everybody should get one of those right. <laughs> yes? What, what TV channel were you on back in the day? What TV channel was I on? Oh. Oh, you never know, but it would have been a good one. That would have been a good one. first child's name one of them? Okay. I can spell it, too. What? You, you forgot already? Goodness, I can't give you all the answers now. No, no, no. Shiloh, right? <laughs> 
All right. Well, let's get started and see if my voice holds up. So I, I got a cold. My oldest daughter did give me a cold. She didn't want it back, so I'm stuck with it. I offered to give it back to her yesterday. She said no. So I tried. <laughs> our picture of the day, our next to the last picture of the day, we will look at the one on Wednesday. I will put the one up before the final, whatever they give us. You will see one more. Um, is the gamma ray Earth and sky. So where is the Earth in this picture? The Earth is actually the whole ring around this. This is a satellite out in orbit. So it's looking out into space. And you can imagine you're sitting on this satellite looking out. The Earth is behind you. So the Earth is this entire ring of intense gamma rays. You think of the Earth as an intense emitter of gamma rays, typically? Not usually, right? I mean, that's, that's high energy, energy stuff. Well, the Earth does emit a lot of gamma rays in its outer atmosphere when high energy particles strike it. So you've got cosmic ray particles, very energetic particles from space slamming into the Earth's atmosphere and causing it to glow in gamma rays. Doesn't affect us. They're absorbed long before they get down to the surface of the Earth. So they don't affect us directly. We can't even see them you know, from the surface of the Earth. They're all blocked out by the atmosphere. But if you're up above the Earth's atmosphere, you can see, see them quite well. So you're actually mapping out a little bit of the Earth's atmosphere, atmosphere there. The other thing that you're seeing stretched across is our galaxy. So that's the Milky Way galaxy. There's the center. A little bit more intense in x-rays. And as you go further right along the plane, you can see the whole disk of our galaxy where there's stronger x-rays here in the red and then fading off in towards the bluish purple here. But the yellow being the most intense is from the Earth. And again, we can't see those, so these gamma rays were unobservable for us for until about 50 years ago, 50, 60 years ago when we put satellites in orbit. could actually get up above the Earth's atmosphere to look and be able to detect these gamma rays that fortunately for us are shielded. So we don't get hit. We don't get slammed by these gamma rays constantly. So little gamma ray picture there for, for the picture of the day. And we've got one more that we look at on now, no clue what it'll be. What will get something good, hopefully, for the final. So. Who knows? Wait, so, Earth is the blue, the blue dot, the No, Earth is this whole big circle behind you. This is the entire sky. Imagine this. You're looking at the entire sky. There is, you're looking straight up. That's straight overhead. This would be your entire horizon. If you're sitting here on Earth, that would be going around north through south. That's the entire horizon. If you were just laying on your back looking up at the sky, you're looking straight overhead. This is everything around you. This satellite is doing the same thing. It's in orbit above the Earth, looking straight up, and it's got that ring of Earth's atmosphere all the way around it, behind it. That's what it's picking up here. So you're seeing the entire sky. Think of it as, you know, there's the Earth. You're looking straight up. This is your entire horizon. That's what it's seeing for the Earth. For the Earth. Do you have a question? Question just? High energy particles are coming from interstellar space. They could be from supernovae. They're just what we call <coughs> cosmic rays that are traveling through space. So they could be supernovae explosions that occurred you know, millions and millions of years ago out in the distance. And they are, they're just streaming through space when they interact with our atmosphere. You know, this is beyond anything we get from the sun. Is that a constant thing that happens like, yeah. every day? Yeah, it's just a constant stream of particles that are coming through space. Anything else? Anything else? Before I jump back into 17. All right, chapter 17. We were looking at this. Uh, let's go back. No, we won't go back to the beginning of chapter 17, will we? All right. So we were, I was showing you this last time. And this was the remnant of the Big Bang that we detect as the microwave background radiation. No matter where we look, in the sky, we detect these radio waves coming with exactly the same strength, exactly the same temperature. Everything is identical. It's one of the most accurate measurements we've been able to get. And it's a very precise measurement as well. And what has happened over time, what this is, is this is what is left over from, that, from the Big Bang. When it first occurred, the universe would have been incredibly bright in gamma rays. All these gamma rays, this, this explosion had just occurred. It was gamma rays all over the place running around. 
And you would have seen, unlike the image that we saw for the picture of the day where there's a lot of dark areas, not a lot of gamma rays being emitted, the entire universe would have been bright and gam- would have been awash with gamma rays. That'd be all you'd see. As the universe expands from one second to 100,000 years, those wavelengths have now been stretched out. So instead of gamma rays, now you have visible light. 100,000 years after the Big Bang, the universe would have been glowing incredibly brightly in visible light. You wouldn't have been able to see anything. There would have been no dark sky. That would be the time that there was. Thank you. That would be the time that there, you know, that Olbers paradox that we mentioned last time would have been correct. There was no, there was nothing, the sky, night sky was not dark. The night sky would have been completely bright. Of course, also at 100,000 years, there were no, we hadn't formed galaxies or stars or planets or anything else yet. So it really wouldn't have had much meaning, but the entire universe would have been awash with this point optical, visible light. As it cooled off further and expanded, that now got stretched into the infrared and today into the radio that we detect. So that's that remnant that is left over and it will keep going down, right? It'll keep, as the universe continues to expand, that'll go down further and further and go further off into the radio, radio part of the spectrum. But it gives us a temperature for the universe and the temperature is about three degrees. So no matter where you look in the sky, there's nothing that's absolute zero. There's still this leftover heat for, from the Big Bang that's left over at three Kelvin. Remember Kelvin scale goes to zero is the lowest you can possibly get. So you're about three degrees above the minimum coldest temperature you can ever get. Pretty darn cold, but not zero. Yeah? Yep. As it keeps expanding, it'll continue to cool. It'll approach zero and never get there. It'll be one of those things you go closer and closer and closer, but you can go down to two degrees, one degree, a half a degree, a quarter of a degree, a tenth, a hundredth, a thousand. I mean, you know, trillions of years from now, if it keeps expanding, you'd never technically be able to reach zero. But once you get to one one billionth of a degree or one one trillionth of a degree, it's essentially zero, but you'd never actually hit that exact amount. Uh, how accurate? Now, we've, we've talked about some a little bit about the accuracy of measurements in astronomy. You know, distances are pretty tough to get. You might say something is, you know, oh, it might be 100 light years away, but plus or minus 10 or something. So it's not a real good accurate measurement. This is something that has been measured extremely accurately. The line there is the theoretical curve that you should get. And the dots are the measurements. You don't get too much more perfect than that. I mean, this is able to be measured, measuring how much intensity we get from you know, empty space, essentially, at different frequencies, different wavelengths. And it matches it almost precisely. It matches the exact theoretical curve. So it's extremely, we've been able to measure it extremely accurately. You know, most measurements and distances, you know, we looked at some of the other ones, you'd get dots scattered all over the place. These ones match exactly. So very, very accurate measurements of this background, of the background radiation. And it fits very precisely with a temperature of about a little bit less than three degrees. And again, cooling off, but not cooling off like with most things in astronomy, not cooling off at a rate where we're going to see you know, 2.7 degrees this year and next year it's going to be 2.6 and then 2. No. You know, come back in 10 billion years and it might cool off another fraction of a degree. It takes a very long time for that to happen. All right, so if we're looking at the entire universe here, we have in the universe, we have matter. We've looked at all the matter. We've been talking some about the radiation. And what we're looking at here in this universe, or in this graph, is showing the different stages of the universe. Very early on, the universe was dominated by radiation. A lot more radiation than anything else. Gamma rays, x-rays, um, ultraviolet, you know, visible light even. It dominated everything. So in this bluish region, the radiation density, the density of just radiation, not matter, was overwhelming. Oh, thank you. Was overwhelming compared to the matter density. As the universe expands, the radiation density drops quicker. The matter density drops, but not quite as quick. At some point, they cross over. And at about, let's see, that's about 10,000 years. That's about 100,000. So at about you know, 50, 60,000 years, then 
the densities are about the same of matter and radiation and you're becoming a matter dominated universe. So universe becomes dominated by matter. That's the universe, most of the universe we look at is that. It's dominated by the matter that we see. But as the universe expands, both of those continue to drop. So they get lower and lower and the difference is the dark energy that we mentioned last time, its density does not change. It stays exactly the same as the universe expands. So even though it's incredibly tiny and you know, meaningless here, it's not doing anything, you've got all this matter, you've got all this radiation, and dark energy is just sitting there. As you cross over here, you become matter dominated. Well, they're getting closer, but still, dark energy is many, many times, you know, million, a million times less even then. But as it continues to expand and they drop after a billion years, billion, you know, a few billion years, then the dark energy starts to become more important. And as the universe continues to expand, that becomes even more and more important. And the dark energy, if you recall, is what's now pushing the universe apart, causing it to expand even more and causing it to expand faster. So once the dark energy takes over, you know, we're here at 10 billion years and 100 billion years, it starts to en enhance, the, enhance the expansion. It causes things to expand faster, meaning that the matter and the radiation, their density gets spread out even more, so they become even less important. And the dark energy will stay exactly the same and continue to dominate. And that's where we are now. We're in a dark energy dominated universe. So that's what we're actually measuring when we measure the expansion of the universe. We're seeing that things have expanded that are expanding a lot slower in the past than they are now. Now they're expanding a lot faster. So that's sort of what this is trying to show. The dark energy density stays exactly the same as the universe expands. The radiation density and the matter density will continue to decline. Eventually they'll become negligible compared to dark energy. And the universe in that case would just go on a runaway expansion. Just be gone. Everything would, be go everything would expand. Now again, when I talk about expansion, it's not everything. The Earth isn't expanding, the Milky Way galaxy isn't expanding, it's the empty space between them. So eventually you'd have, you know, our galaxy would still be here, maybe our local group of galaxies, whatever is left of them, but the other galaxies further away would then expand out so far, again, you'd never, they'd, they'd fade out and the universe would become very, very empty and very, very cold. And that's what the universe looks like it's going to do at this point. Alrighty, let's see. Now, how did we form everything? Jump back here, how do we form? Going back to the very, very early few seconds, uh, seconds, minutes of the universe. This diagram might look a little familiar, maybe. Uh, we looked at this back when we talked about the sun, way, way back. That's how the sun produces its energy, right? You got protons and neutrons colliding together. They form deuterium, those collide together to form helium-3. That collides and you form helium-4. That's the proton-proton chain. At one point, the universe formed hydrogen because it's very easy to form. All you need is a proton and an electron. Very simplest thing you can form. And once you form those protons, you essentially had a gigantic star. The entire temperature of the entire universe would have been you know, millions of degrees. So you would have had nuclear fusion going, out, going on within the entire universe. And you would have started fusing hydrogen into helium. So you can do that. Now the universe is expanding as it's going on, so unlike a star that is sitting there nice and stable, produces lots of energy for a long time, the universe is doing this only for a very short period of time. And it did it for long enough to convert about, to convert so that the universe ends up being about 90% helium, or not hydrogen, 10% helium. Nothing else. So nothing else would have been formed yet. It didn't stay this long enough that it formed helium, that helium could burn to carbon, right? You could have done that. Well, you didn't have enough time. The, the universe expanded and cooled too quickly that all that had time to form early on in the history of the universe would have been hydrogen, again, just protons forming, and then helium through some nuclear fusion throughout the, throughout the universe. So you would have been able to form that, nothing else. Anything else that formed, right, everything else we're made up of, is really supernovae explosions after. That's where, that's where it all comes from. Now, deuterium, 
We've talked about deuterium a couple times. That's hydrogen with a proton and a neutron. Deuterium fuses at a much lower temperature than hydrogen. Only needs about a million degrees instead of 10 million. So it fuses much easier. Essentially, all of it disappeared, but a little bit did not. Whatever we see in deuterium left over has to be from the Big Bang. Has to be left over from the Big Bang because deuterium cannot be formed in stars. It is as an intermediate step, but it burns so much quicker that it's gone. So you're producing deuterium, you're immediately converting it into helium. So there's no deuterium that is going to be left in those stars. So none of it that gets out in a supernova explosion or anything is going to be deuterium. Whatever we see in deuterium must be from the origin of the universe and that gives us some way to look backwards and try to calculate and figure out you know, what the universe might have been like early, early on. Because obviously a lot of the things that we're testing there, you know, a universe-sized thing at, billions, at millions or billions of degrees, not something we can reproduce in a laboratory. We can smash some things together, but no, not the kind of conditions that existed in the early universe is not something that we can reproduce. So what did the universe look like? Not to scale in the slightest there, but there's our little Earth just to give us an idea. And then you know, billions of light years away, the edge of the observable universe. So what they're looking at here is that early on, we had protons and you had electrons, right? A hydrogen atom, if you combine them. The temperatures are hot enough. They won't stick together. They'll keep getting torn apart. So you don't have any hydrogen atoms early on. When you have just protons and electrons floating around, a gigantic sea of protons and electrons as you did back here, light can't get through. So you can't see anything. Essentially, the universe at that time was opaque meaning that you can't see through it. It was like a wall, right? I can't see through to the next classroom, it's opaque. The whole universe was like that early on. Until you actually formed atoms, until it cooled off to the temperature, you know, tens of thousands of degrees where hydrogen atoms could start to form. Once it did that, all of a sudden the universe went from being opaque, like this, to being transparent, so boom. You went from having a whiteboard here to having a window and you can see through into the next classroom all of a sudden. That's where the microwave background radiation came from. That was the first point at which radiation could actually travel through the universe. So it wasn't just caught and absorbed immediately. Once you got to this point, everything cooled off. The radiation starts traveling and 13 and a half billion years later, it gets to us. So for travel for 13 half billion years, that's what we see as the cosmic background radiation. So we're seeing what we call this uh, decoupling time, decoupling epoch, meaning that the atoms actually began to form. That was when we could first form atoms. So before that time, even when all the nuclear fusion is going on at tens of millions of degrees, you didn't really form any atoms. You had hydrogen nuclei around to fuse. As it cooled off, eventually you started to form those atoms. It would get down to the temperatures of the surface of a star few thousand degrees, 10,000 degrees, where now hydrogen is able to combine and maintain, maintain its stability as a proton with an electron orbiting it. So you've gone from no atoms here, way out in the distance, to lots of atoms. All of a sudden, once you form the atoms, boom, the universe is transparent. So when we look back there, we're actually looking back to this time. That's what we see as that microwave background radiation. Again, at one point that would have been you know, visible light, extra, uh, gamma, uh, visible light down to infrared, down to radio, down to radio waves that we see today. All right. So now talk about cosmic inflation has nothing to do with your money being worth less than it was years ago, but has more to do with the universe, ex the expansion of the universe. But the idea that there are some problems with when we look at the expansion of the universe that we can't really explain. This is almost the same diagram we showed last time. That's that uh, essentially the photosphere of the universe that we see now where things are finally just visible. And what we find is that if we look out here, right, the microwave background radiation from this part, it's been traveling 13 and a half billion years to get to us. 
We look at the microwave radiation here, traveling some 13 and a half billion years to get to us. They're exactly the same. Doesn't really matter which direction you look. Remember, we see the microwave background radiation was the same whether you looked out there or you looked out there. Well, the problem is that, again, this is 13 and a half billion light years here. This is 13 and a half billion light years away. Doesn't matter whether you're looking at directly opposite ones. You could be looking in this angle or this angle. Whatever way you look, it's always exactly the same. But if these are on opposite edge, if that's 13 and a half and that's 13 and a half, then these two are 27 billion light years apart. Well, that's bigger than we've done anything else, right? That's bigger than the, you know, the radius of the universe, size of the universe. That means there's been no time for those two to talk to each other, for them to have been in thermal contact, essentially for their temperature to have evened out. Otherwise, they shouldn't be exactly the same unless they were in contact at some point. Right? It takes time for things to you know, smooth out their temperatures. They have to be in contact for a significant amount of time. Right? You put a hot pan on the stove and you turn off the heat. It cools off and it takes time. Eventually, come back hours later, everything's the same temperature. Right? It's the same temperature as the air, same temperature as the stove. Everything's exactly the same. It takes some time to do that. There hasn't been enough time in the universe for these two to have evened out their temperatures. So why are they exactly the same? And that's what astronomers call the horizon problem. As you look at all these different areas, again, not just these two, but any direction you look at, there has not been time for these sections to communicate with each other and say, you know, hey, we're all supposed to be three degrees. You know, why aren't you three degrees? You have to be a little bit cooler. You have to be a little bit warmer. There hasn't been that time for all of those to even out. But we do see it, even on things that are separated by distances that could not possibly have been um, been in contact over that, over that period of time. There's no time. You know, light has not had time to travel from here to here, let alone any other kind of energy. Has not had time in the history of the universe to get there unless something else happened. The other problem that we have is the flatness problem. The universe looks very flat. Okay, I think I mentioned that earlier that I had all the stuff up on the board last time. The universe looked, looked like a very flat universe. Our observations say it's expanding and it's expanding very rapidly. But much of what we look at tells us that it's very flat. And that's a problem because in order to have survived, for our universe to still be here and to not have collapsed or to not have accelerated out so far that you don't see anything else, you know, our galaxy here all by ourselves, in order to do that, you had to be extremely close to the critical density. You had extremely close to that exactly borderline density right after the Big Bang. In fact, you know, a point zero, put about 15 zeros in there in a one, that's how close you had to be. So it wasn't like you just had to be, you know, all within one percent or a tenth of a percent. You know, you're talking, what, we got quadrillionths? You know, one quadrillion to one quadrillionth? That's as much trouble as trying to imagine billions and trillions, I know, just on the other end. But you had to be that close to being exactly flat in order for our universe to even exist today. Because if it was a little bit off and a little bit denser, then the universe would have gone to one extreme and would have already collapsed. If it was a little bit off the other way, it would have long since opened over those 10 billion years and everything would have expanded outward. So why do we see a universe today? That's our big question. That's the flatness problem. It looks so flat. But the measurements show us are showing us something different. So this is what astronomers, cosmic inflation is what we have come up with to explain what we see. And let's see. Here's cosmic inflation in a little sketch here. Now if you want to try to imagine that other time number, we had one quadrillionth, right? One quadrillionth of the um, number I gave you the last time here. This is even shorter. Between 10 to the minus 35 seconds and 10 to the minus 32 seconds. So that's a zero, put 32 zeros in a one fraction of a second. Zero and 35 zeros in a one. Tiny, tiny fractions of a, of a second. But in that incredible instant, the universe went from being very tiny. This would be the size of an atom, atomic-sized. 
So when it first formed, it would go from being atomic sized, expanded, it shot up to becoming universe size in this tiny fraction of a second. Again, you can't even imagine that. You can't even imagine that fast. Now that's not trying to imagine a tenth or a hundredth of a second. A billionth of a second would be uh, 10 to the minus 9. So a trillionth of a second, 10 to the minus 12. Get an idea of how tiny of a fraction that was. But during that time period, the universe was in a period of extreme inflation and went from being, you know, molecular size, atomic size, to being universe size in that tiny fraction. It then continues to expand at a much slower rate. But over this time, it expanded an incredible amount. So this is expanding in very slowly out here and for the rest of the rest of time. But that explains, using this model of inflation, actually explains some of the things that we see. And it can solve things like the horizon problem and the flatness problem and explain why things might have been closer together back here. Right? They were very close. All of a sudden, they got ripped apart. Well, guess what? They were in thermal contact here. Now, all of a sudden, we ripped them apart. And they've gone from being you know, right next to each other to being billions of light years away. Well, now they were in contact. They just were. They just are not anymore. So this would solve those two problems. This is looking at the flatness problem. If you have, you've got a little ant here walking around a balloon. If that balloon is about 10 centimeters in size, you know, little balloon, a few inches across, the ant can see the curvature, right? You can see there and walk around the curvature. You've got a really stretchy balloon here. You can blow this thing up as much as you want. So you blow it up, to go from 10 centimeters to a kilometer. That's quite a balloon. But now this ant, well, you can still see some curvature, right? There's a little bit there. Maybe you can get some hint of it. You know, we can work on the Earth. We can get some hint of the curvature of the Earth. You don't see it very easily. But you know, if you can go out to the ocean, watch ships disappearing, you can, get, you can actually see the curvature of the Earth. You can watch by the way the ships disappear. Now, if you can expand that as much as the universe expanded, 10 to the 50th times, so now you've got 10 to the 48th meters in diameter balloon, you know, universe-sized balloon. Where you got that much air, don't ask me to try to blow up a balloon that much. But now this poor little ant is still seeing this one section. As far as it can tell what it can see of this, it's completely flat. Right? It's got to travel, you know, an infinite amount of time, essentially, to be able to see anything else, to be able to see any kind of curvature. You know, if you've got this kind of size and you travel miles and miles and miles, you're still not going to see anything different. The universe is going to look completely flat to you, even though it might not be on the grand scale. Also, when the universe expanded that fast, if it got so much bigger, we might be looking at only our little tiny portion of the universe. Right, really make you feel small as if the solar system and the galaxy and the clusters don't make you feel small as it is. What if we're only seeing a little tiny portion of the universe and when the whole universe expanded, here it was, you know, all of this expanded, so we're only on this little tiny section, this little tiny dot here, everything else is expanded well out of our field of view. If it's expanded to where it's 20 billion light years away and the universe is 13 billion years old, that light can't get to us yet. It's coming. Seven billion years from now, we'll see it. But you still got a while to wait. So we might not even be able to see what's going on out here because it simply has not had time. The light has not had time to get to us. So the universe could be much, much bigger than what we see it as. We just can't see the rest of it. We're only seeing our little tiny pocket of the universe. So inflation solves both of those, those two problems. All right. Last section of 17. Forming large-scale structures. So we, we start out with large-scale structures. We start out with kind of what we see. Now, how do we actually form those? So can we be able to understand how we see these? It's very difficult if you do computer modeling on uh, early formation of the universe and you just take the normal matter, spread it out, and let it start to clump together. Right? Eventually, gravitate a little bit bigger clumps will occur and you'll eventually form galaxies and clusters and stars and all of that will start to form. 
But there's not been enough time for it to happen yet. It shouldn't happen. We shouldn't have galaxies yet if normal matter were the only thing that existed. Because before decoupling, remember when atoms combined together? Before that happened, you had all this intense radiation, gamma rays whipping around, x-rays whipping around. And if you started to form little clumps of matter, you know, we're going to form a little clump and then smash a couple gamma rays into it, boom, it's all spread out again. So those gamma rays would have kept it very smooth, would have kept all the matter very, very smooth. If there were not, bless you, if there were not, we'd see it. If there were density variations, we'd see them in the microwave background. It would be a little bit brighter in one section, a little bit fainter in another section. It wouldn't be exactly the same, almost exactly the same, wherever we look. So we don't see any signs of variation in the density. We don't see the density of being different. You need those clumps to start forming early on in order to form the galaxies and the clusters that we see today. So it looks like there has to be more involved than just normal matter. Now, normal matter is pretty much what we studied in this course. That's us, you, me, the Earth, the Sun, the Milky Way galaxy, the clusters of galaxies, all the galaxies that we see. That's what we call normal matter. We also talked about dark matter. So dark matter could be a little bit more of this. Dark matter could add some to this and be able to give us a chance to uh, determine you know, maybe what's going on, give us a little bit better idea of what's going on. Because the dark matter doesn't interact with the radiation. Radiation and dark matter, they, just, they ignore each other. So clumps of dark matter could start to form very early on and then leave you as, leave clumps there. They only interact gravitationally, so then after decoupling, then regular matter could have coupled, could have clumped in where the dark matter had already started, forming our clusters that we see today. So we don't see any variations in the density. We don't see, we know that the radiation was so intense that clumps would not have been able to have formed. So we're kind of stuck there. We need something else. We need that dark matter. Once again, you know, we needed to explain the galaxies. We needed to explain the clusters of galaxies. Now we needed to explain that they even exist. Because otherwise they should not even exist. So, as the universe was expanding, you might have gotten clumps of normal matter that might have been a little bit denser than the density of their surroundings. You know, based on what we see, 50 times denser. So you got one atom here, you got 50 here. Sounds like a pretty big amount. One atom here and 100 here. No, pretty big difference. But what is it like what we see in the universe today? You know, the Earth, how many atoms do you have for the Earth? Well, let's move two Earths away and how many atoms are in that chunk of space? Some, but nowhere near what we have here on the Earth. It's not 50 or 100 times. It's, you know, many powers of 10 times more that you have here on Earth than you have in anything else. So you wouldn't have any clumpings. You would have had very minor clumpings of density. That's about the most that could have formed very early on. Dark matter, as I mentioned, was not affected by the radiation. So we didn't have to worry about that. And that allowed it to start clumping even earlier. So it looks like the dark matter would have clumped first, and then the normal matter would have clumped in on top of it. So it clumped together. You can't see it at all, but it's there. But the regular matter can see it gravitationally, so it starts to pull that once the matter, once the radiation has decreased sufficiently. So little clumps, yes, may have formed. We'd see those now in variation in the background. And there are some slight variations in the background. I tell you it's perfect, almost exactly, you know, 2.7 something degrees. Well, there's slight variations, but those variations are in the thousandths of a degree range. So there are some tiny variations, but they're incredibly tiny. It's not like it's, oh, it's 2.5 here, and 3 here, and 2.8. You know, it's not like that. It's very tiny fractions of a, of a degree. All right, so here's a little schematic of what might have happened. Here's what you might have had early on. One second after the Big Bang, pretty much everything was uniform throughout space. There's a little tiny bit of normal matter. There's all the dark matter. So that's in a graph form. Here, if you spread it out throughout space, what do you have? You have all these little yellow dots are normal matter. All the red dots are dark matter. Pretty much the same. After about 1,000 years, 
At that time, really nothing has happened to the normal matter. We're still intensely energy dominated and that normal matter cannot clump together. So it's almost exactly the same. It hasn't changed in a thousand years. But the dark matter is starting to. You're starting to get some areas where dark matter has clumped together and some areas where there's a little bit less dark matter. Fast forward another hundred million years. The dark matter has really clumped, really started to clump together. Gravitationally it does interact and you start to form these clumps. And the normal, ma normal matter, matter, our galaxies and our clusters that we looked at, clump in right with that dark matter. The gravitational force is the same no matter what matter you're looking at. So then the galaxies will cluster around that dark matter and that gives us the universe that we see today. So it explains how we could possibly form those clusters of galaxies. Whereas if you just tried to form them with normal matter, we wouldn't have galaxies yet. Even after 13 billion years, there wouldn't have been enough time for galaxies and everything that we see to have formed. So we don't have that time, but if the dark matter started clumping first, it explains why we see uh, galaxies and clusters of galaxies today. So here's an example of a simulation that's been done. You start off at 1 billion years, you've got a pretty uh, smooth universe there. And as you move your way through, you start to get that sort of uh, structure that we see today. You've got various filaments, areas where there's a lot of density of matter. You've got void areas. Imagine this in three dimensions. There's some areas where there's very little material. So we can get that kind of structure that we see today if we add in an appropriate amount, you know, at being you know, several many times the amount of visible matter in terms of dark matter that was able to clump together first. So you see that over three billion years and then another ten billion years you started to clump things together and then you got the kind of structure that we see if we were to map out our universe today that's the kind of thing that we see when we looked at some of those some of those images. So we can, we are able to reproduce it. You know, theoretically we can now use our models to be able to reproduce the amount of light, amount of light that we're, we were getting. So yeah, go ahead. All the spaces in between all the like, things that were down. All the little filaments here? Yeah, that's okay. called dark matter in between. Dark matter is clumped around these two. That's empty. That's empty space. There's nothing. There's nothing? No. There's going to be some matter, There's going to, but for the vast majority of it, it's all clumped together. There's essentially nothing. That's really empty. Empty, so empty space. All the stuff from the initial part condensed down into those little filaments? Yeah. Okay. So all that material has condensed down. Sort of like in the previous graph. You know, you had everything spread out. Yeah, there's still some there. You know, in between. Here would be, you know, looking at a cross section maybe of one of your filaments. There's where all the galaxies are forming. All the materials there. Yeah, there's a little tiny bit over here. But relatively speaking, it's not much. All right. Now, I did say that you did say that dark matter doesn't interact with radiation. It does a little bit because matter of any kind bends space, and radiation is going to interact with that a little bit. So you should see some very small variations in the background radiation because the clumping is occurring. This clumping of dark matter is occurring. This is something we've now been able to see that if you look at the whole sky it's not completely smooth. That there are a little bit brighter portions, there are a little bit darker portions. You're starting to see where the clumps were beginning to form. Lack of material here, excess material here and here. Again, those are incredibly tiny. You're talking, you know, thousandths of a degree. So we know the microwave background radiation, you know, two point whatever degrees, and it's down to like the thousandths of a degree is where we're seeing these little tiny, tiny variations. So, but we can observe them. That does give us some confidence that the clumping that we talked about is correct and that things were able to clump, clump together very early on because it makes a prediction that we should see these ripples. The technology has now gotten to the point where we're able to actually make that measurement. All right, and I have here's a little higher resolution of what we were looking at before, and that gives you 
the range of variation, boy, that makes it look like the, it's all varied all over the place, that you've got really, really bright areas and really, really dark areas. Here's the scale. 300 millionths of a degree to minus 300 millionths of a degree. So fractions of a thousandth of a degree is what the changes are. Very, very small amounts that has changed. So it's, even though it's exaggerated here by the, by the way the scale's done, if you did that on a normal scale where this was, you know, 10 degrees and that was minus 10 degrees, it would look completely smooth. But when you look at it, even on very small, you can see that there is a lot of clumping going on. That dark matter started clumping. That's what eventually would have formed the galaxies and the clusters of galaxies. It doesn't have anything to do with stars forming or planets. That forms once the galaxies begin to form. It doesn't really affect, affect that. But to actually form those clusters of galaxies in the first, first point, we need those little variations of matter and dark matter very, very early on in the universe. And I guess that's it. Okay, I thought I had one more. I guess not. Well, let me skim through chapter 17, and I'll give you a little, take a short break, and then I'll come back and cover the part of chapter 18 that I'm going to. I've kind of cut it down a little bit, so we're not going to go through all of it. Just hit the high points on it at least. But what we talked about in this chapter is that on large scales, talking hundreds of millions of parsecs, hundreds of millions of light years, the universe is homogeneous. Doesn't matter what section of it you take, it all looks pretty much the same. It's isotropic, it doesn't matter which direction you look at. The clusters of galaxies are all about the same. You'll get the same number of clusters, same number of galaxies if I look out in this direction versus looking out in this direction. The Big Bang was about 14 billion years ago and that was the beginning of the universe, the beginning of anything we can at least know about the universe. That's essentially when time and space began. What is the future of the universe? Well, it's got two choices, right? It's expanding right now. It can keep doing that forever. That's what it looks like it's going to do. If there were enough material, it could actually collapse back, collapse back down. So we don't, we don't know which it, which it will do. Of course, if we're also stuck looking at our tiny portion of the universe because of inflation, we don't know what's out there. Could there be a lot more matter and maybe the universe is going to collapse eventually? Or is it nowhere near enough? We only see this tiny portion of the universe. There's the borderline case right between those where the universe expands forever, but barely. It keeps slowing down and it keeps slowing down and it keeps slowing down, but it would take an infinite amount of time for it to stop. The density of the universe is either very large if it collapses, very small if it expands. The critical density is the borderline case right in between them. So right in between, right on the edge of expanding and collapsing, that's what we call the critical density. All right. So I think I just gave you those. High density universe is what we call closed. We think of that as like the surface of a sphere. We have a critical universe is flat like a piece of paper. And a low density universe is open, saddle shaped or like a Pringle. Expands out forever. You know? Imagine an infinite Pringle going out forever. The universe, though, is expanding. That's what we measure. And it's not only expanding, but it's expanding faster than it was. So the expansion has actually increased. And we believe that is due to dark energy, some sort of vacuum pressure dark energy that's actually causing the expansion of the universe to accelerate. We don't expect that. We should expect it to slow down. You've got gravity pulling on everything. Maybe it still expands forever. You know, Voyager, Earth's still pulling on Voyager, but it's getting, away, it's getting away from the Earth. It's moving too fast for its distance for it to ever be able to escape, to ever be able to be pulled back. You would expect the universe to do the same thing. It expands, but it should expand at a slower and slower rate over time. But that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing it expanding even faster now than it was billions of years ago. I already gave you that the universe is about 14 billion years old. Question? Sorry. That's okay. I want to make sure. Yeah. That's the current best explanation that they that we have. Other things would involve some sort of difference to like gravity, some sort of new theory of gravity. But there's nothing that works as well to match all the observations. Will that be different in 20 or 30 years? Could be. Either we might confirm that and get more measurements that confirm it, or we might find something new. But as of current, that's the best, best method to, to explain it.
And then we started talking today about the microwave background radiation, that leftover radio waves traveling from uh, the Big Bang when everything uh, finally combined together and made the universe transparent. And long summary this time, sorry. Right now we looked at the universe as matter dominated. Actually we're pushing towards dark energy dominated right now. So we're getting dominated by dark energy. Earlier on it was dominated by radiation, then by matter, and now by dark energy, at least our portion of the universe. We saw the universe, we could actually see things once the temperature cooled off enough that atoms could finally form. High enough temperatures, all the electrons are stripped off the atoms and you don't get any, you don't get any atoms. Radiation and matter actually separated from each other then. They became uh, very separate things. Radiation was then free to travel through the universe and the matter was free to begin to be able to clump. That decoupling time is what we see, where we see the cosmic background radiation from. So we see the cosmic background radiation from the time when atoms were be able to form. Before that we can't see anything. The universe was opaque. We couldn't see through it. After that time, now we can finally see the universe. I mentioned, I told you about the horizon problems. Why is the temperature the same there? Is it over there? Is it all the same? Pretty close to being the same. Even though you haven't had time for them to be in contact thermally to even out the temperatures. But you could have early on if there, if there was this period of inflation. Why does the universe look so flat? Well, it doesn't seem to be flat, uh, but, it, but the measurements show that it looks to be very flat. But inflation solves that because we're only looking at a tiny portion of the universe. Blow up that balloon, that little tiny square of it starts to look pretty flat as you get that balloon bigger and bigger. Right? You're infinitely expanding balloon, one that doesn't pop on you partway through your experiment. And last one, right now the density of the universe looks to be about critical, at least for our portion of the universe that we can measure. Two-thirds of that is from dark energy. Dark matter is about a third of it. Two-thirds and one-third makes three-thirds, that's about everything. So the little tiny bit that's left over in the rounding errors there, a couple percent, is what makes up everything we pretty much studied in the course till this chapter. All the, all the normal matter that we are made up of, that the stars and the galaxies are made up of, is a very tiny fraction of the mass of the universe. Incredibly tiny. It's only a couple percent. Most of the rest of it is dark matter and or dark energy. Two-thirds of it being dark energy, about a third of it being dark matter, and maybe just a couple percent being the normal matter that when you, you know, go out at night and look up at the stars, that's what you're seeing is normal matter. When you go and look at the pictures of the day, we're looking at normal matter. Everything we're looking at is pretty much normal matter. So we're only that little tiny part of it. Part of it. Structure of the universe could not have come from fluctuations in that ordinary matter. It would not have been able to clump before the matter and energy separated. Dark matter could have, and that can account for what we see today. So that finishes 17. I'll give you, take a break here, five, ten minutes, and then we'll come back and I'll go through chapter 18, the part I'm going to cover at least.